It's great to be here. Good morning. I, uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm uh, Bill Hilligans, and I oversee the student ministry here. Uh, middle school through high school, and we call it Verge Student Ministry. If you didn't know what Verge meant, you heard about Verge, Verge this, Verge that. Verge actually comes from this, that middle school and high school students are on the verge of making life decisions. And our prayer is, as leaders of this ministry, that we are able to play a role in guiding them as they journey through probably some of the toughest years that you'll go through, especially middle school, and that they focus on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one that uh, they turn to, they look to as they verge on these decisions. Tuesday night's middle school night, Wednesday night is high school night, and it was Wednesday night just like any other normal Wednesday night. Students came, we had a great night, and uh, everybody had gone home, and I was in my office cleaning up, getting ready to go, and suddenly out of the corner of my eye there was this green neon flash. And I said, I don't think that's normal, but maybe tonight it is. And I thought, well, okay, what's, uh, what's going on here? I, maybe my eyes are just dry. So I close my eyes a few times, open my eyes, I'm doing something else, and there's that neon flash again. I said, man, ah, I've got it figured out. There's one of my students out in the parking lot, and they've got one of those laser pointers, and they're pointing it in the window, and they're messing with me. I knew that's what it was. So I look out in the parking lot, and there's nobody out there. So I said, okay, here's an idea. I'll close my eyes and keep them closed, and if I see the green flash, then I know something's not right. And that's what happened. So I'm driving home, and I'm seeing this green flash off and on, and uh, I called the eye doctor in the morning. I said, hey, I, you know, this is what's happening. Could you get me in? He goes, yeah, come on in. We'll get you in. And he dilates my eye, and as he's looking at my eye and talking to his assistant, he says these words. There's a tear at 4 o'clock, uh, tear at 6 o'clock, tear at 8 o'clock. And I'm thinking in my mind, not being the optometrist, but when somebody's looking into your eye and says tear, that's not good. He gets done looking at me, and the assistant immediately had left, and uh, he looks at me and he said, okay, here's the deal. You need to go to the retina center. Uh, and he said, my assistant has already made an appointment for you. You leave here, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go directly to the retina center, they are waiting for you. I'm going, yeah, this might be a little bit more serious than what I thought. And uh, I get to the retina center, they go, oh yeah, come on in, we're going to dilate your eye again. So they dilate my eye again, and the retina doctor then says, there's a tear at 3 o'clock, there's a tear at 6 o'clock. I'm going, I already knew that. And... Uh, he goes, uh, we're going to do surgery. I said, okay. Surgery on the eye is not something that you want. But then he said, we're going to do surgery now. I said, what? He goes, we're doing surgery now. We're doing laser surgery immediately. Otherwise, you could lose sight in your eye. It was out of nowhere that my vision changed. And that's how life is many times. There's these out of nowhere something happens that we did not expect to happen. Could be good. It could be something we consider to be bad. 
when I first got that news and they first did the laser surgery, I thought it was bad, but I have come to tell you that I appreciate vision so much more. The beauty and the splendor of God's creation is so much more spectacular to me than it was ever before. So in reality, it was, could have been considered bad, but for me now, it's something that I cherish is my eyesight. And I'd like to look at three separate passages <clears throat> that uh, in Scripture, it looks like Jesus shows up out of nowhere. How the lives of people in these different scenarios, they changed, and they changed forever. And what that looks like for us in our upcoming year. So let's start at the very beginning. And if you have a Bible, you can open it to Genesis 3 because that's where we're going to start. But if we start at the beginning, we see this. And God said, let there be, and it was, and it was good, and it was very good. We see God at the beginning creating with his voice. He is speaking creation into existence with just his voice. We see nowhere in the text where it says that God said, let there be stars. And there was, no, there was no banging, there was speaking. And God spoke it into creation. And it was good. And it was perfect. And that is the foundation. That is the start of the Bible. And that's where we need to start. Because you see something. If we cannot believe creation. And we cannot believe. If we want to believe evolution. Then we're missing God. We need to start at the beginning. And that is the foundation for our biblical beliefs. If we fail to believe and acknowledge God as creator. How can we even think about believing the rest of the Bible? How can we believe that Moses walks up to a Red Sea that's massively big and parts this Red Sea and millions of people walk through on dry land, no less, and then the sea comes back down on his enemies? Try going to Lake Michigan and doing that today. That was a God thing. How can we believe the Bible if we're not going to believe creation? Then how do we believe that this nation of Israel walks around a city seven times, blows their trumpet, shouts, and walls fall down, and those walls are so thick that people live in them. You see, if we can't believe creation, and we can't believe the beginning of the Bible, we're going to miss all of it. That is our foundation. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, God plants man in this perfect garden and then he walks in relationship with man, and we know that he is walking in relationship with him. And I don't know what that exactly looks like, but he's walking with Adam, and he says, Adam, see all these beautiful trees? The apple tree, the cherry tree, the pineapple tree. That's all for your dining delight. You can eat. I have provided this incredibly perfect garden, and you can eat. From any of the trees. But Adam, 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 one thing, that tree over there, if you eat from that tree over there, that's poisonous. And if you eat from that tree, Adam, you're surely going to die. Well, you know, this is really cool because this gives Adam a bunch of freedom. He doesn't have to say, I'm not sure if I eat that fruit over there, will I die or will I get sick? No, he knows. He's been given this freedom by God, this beautiful freedom. 
in this beautifully perfect garden. God says, just don't eat from that tree because you will surely die. And then what God does is he gives Adam this beautiful woman, Eve, and they walk in relationship with God in this garden until one day. Until one day trouble sets in and the crafty of all creatures shows up. And he starts to accuse God of being a stingy God. He accuses God of being a liar. He says, no, God's not. that. No, 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 no. You're not surely going to die if you eat of that tree. No. When God had said you will surely die and the fall happens. And sin now will cause a physical death and it will cause a spiritual death. And that's where we start in Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Can I stop right there? Do you see that Adam is actually blaming God for his sin? The woman that you gave me. He's blaming God that he sinned. Then the Lord said to the woman, Why is it that uh, you have done? What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." We see a God here who sends judgment. And he says, this is the way it's going to be because of sin. But we also see a God here that looks at man and loves man so deeply. And he wants to continue a relationship with his crown jewel of creation, the human. And in spite of the fact that they have turned their backs on God, And they go into hiding, much like some of you have done when you were little. You remember that? Oh, you are in trouble. Wait until your father gets home. You know that. And and you'd hear the car coming up the driveway or the back door opening, and you'd go, oh, Dad's here. I am in so much trouble. And you'd go try to hide, and Dad knew all the hiding spots, and he would come and find you, and you indeed would be in trouble. Adam and Eve are trying to hide from God. It didn't work. And he found them. And in these verses, what we see is we see the first mention of the good news of Jesus Christ. When the world seemed the darkest, that man had separated themselves from God, God tells Eve, there will be enmity, there will be strife between your offspring and Satan's offspring. Eve's offspring would be the man God we know as Jesus. And Satan would bruise his heel. 
and Scripture being true from beginning to end, we see in the New Testament many times where Satan bruises the heel of Jesus, where he bruises him by being ridiculed by the religious leaders, the mocking crowds, the beating, and the eventual death. But we know the whole story. We know that that wasn't the end. Because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and death and Satan. It was a bruise. It wasn't a final blow. And someday, God will crush Satan for good. We know that. When the world looked the darkest, grace appeared. Even though man had failed, God had a plan. And it wasn't plan B. It was plan Jesus. Jesus appears seemingly out of nowhere. And just like in many of your lives and my life, when hope was empty, when we, when we found this Savior we know as Jesus, he changed our lives, our desires, our future. He does that. He changes our lives radically. Just ask that young girl from Nazareth. It was a town on the outskirts of the Jewish nation close to the Gentile community and considered to be a worthless town. The Jewish religious leader said this, that nothing good comes from Nazareth. And Luke 1, we tells, uh, he tells us that this girl, she is highly favored by God. But I want to say this. She did nothing probably that an ordinary Jewish girl would not do. She followed her faith well. And we know this about this young girl. She had remained sexually pure. Mary didn't get in the, Jew, the, the lottery to be the mother of the Messiah contest. She was humble. And it was by God's grace and only by God's grace that he chose Mary. She was a sinner in need of a Savior, same as us. She needed grace, same as we need grace. And this teenage girl is going about her business when an angel shows up, a messenger named Gabriel. It would appear that she's maybe in her room alone, maybe doing homework or something. When out of nowhere, an angel delivers news that will change her life forever. And the angel says, do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call him Jesus. And then Mary engages this angel in conversation. And that is where our, our text is in Luke 1. <clears throat> Starting at thir verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the Lord's servant 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, Mary's response is in question form. And it wasn't a question of um, if this will happen, but how will this happen? The power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary. And in a few verses prior to that, if you read the text prior to that, it says he will be known as the Son of the Most High. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. What's happening here is a real description. You see, this Son that's going to be in you is going to be a spitting image of your Heavenly Father, Mary, because your Son will be God as well. He will be God in the flesh. And we try to figure this out, don't we? How does this whole thing work? But it's really not for us to figure out at all. Why do we want to try to figure out an infinite mind of God when our minds are finite? You know, see, God formed you in your mother's womb, and he formed me in my mother's womb, and we don't remember any of that. But he formed Jesus in his mother's womb, same as he formed us in our mother's womb. And Gabriel says this to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's immediate response is this, I am the Lord's servant, let it be according to your word. Now this is an amazing response due to the ramifications of what is about to happen with Mary. And I, uh, as I read Scripture, sometimes so many things stand out. They're fresh and they're new. And you, I read that a long time ago, and they're, they're fresh. This Christmas, I had a couple of times where I really had those moments. On our Verge staff, we have some of our Verge leaders who are in the uh, childbearing years, I might say. And um, they have little babies, and, and they hold these babies, and I see them holding these babies, and, you know, they're, uh, they're kissy, kissy, and, you know, what you do with your baby? You know, I did that with mine. And uh, nothing wrong with that. I'm not mocking that or making fun of that. Um, but I, it was like on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, I see this happen with a couple of our leaders, and the next day I hear the, the song, Mary, Did You Know? That this baby that you are kissing, you are kissing the face of God. And it stood out to me. Yes, this baby, this baby that she held, that kissed like my verge leaders kiss their kids, like I kiss my kids. She was kissing God. How amazing is that? That this baby needed Mary to take care of him as an infant. incredible. God in the flesh. And the other thing that stood out to me was this, that, that the response of Mary, the announcement, how did that conversation go at home? You are a girl, a good Jewish girl, and in this time to have a child before you got married was unacceptable. And there were all sorts of rules and regulations and punishments for these girls if they did something like this. And Mary has to now go into her parents, and she's 13, 14, or 15, and say, I'm pregnant. I had two girls. 
If they had come to me when they were 13, 14, or 15 and walked in my house and said, I'm pregnant, I would have said, where does he live? But she has to go in to her parents and say, I am pregnant. And the response, the normal response, I would imagine would have been, is Joseph the father? No, God is. <laughs> Think about that. Think about your daughter coming in and saying she's pregnant and God is the father of the child that is inside of her. It wouldn't go over well. But yet, Mary knew what was going to happen. In fact, when she told Joseph, Joseph is thinking about secretly divorcing her and getting rid of her. And an angel comes to Joseph and says, yeah, yes, Joseph, it is the son of God. But Mary didn't care about what was going to happen to her. She said, maybe I am the Lord's servant. Mary's life would be changed immediately and it would be changed forever. And despite what's going to happen, she says, I am the Lord's servant. This humble spirit of Mary, being able to be used by God, does not protest but accepts the news that came out of nowhere to Mary. And we see in history that God uses the humble, the little, if you will. He used 11 disciples who, you know, they were fishermen, and they're not in the Fisherman's Hall of Fame. He used the tax collector to turn the world upside down and to eventually lose their life because they had a passion and a love for Jesus. See, he used them. He used this guy that was a slave trader that bought and sold slaves and was huge in, in the early part of England. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of this guy's heart and changes his heart. And this one man gets slavery abolished in England. You see, God can use the little. He still uses those who are humble. And if you don't believe me, go up here on a Sunday morning to our kids section. And watch as the Sunday school classes, as, as our humble leaders teach the biblical truth to our kids. Watch on a, a Wednesday night as we have Awana out here. And our Awana leaders get dressed up in wacky, goofy outfits. Why? So they can share biblical truths with our kids. Humble. Usable. Watch on a verge night as we have leaders that come and sit with middle school and high school students and love them for who they are. We want the big, exciting position. But God still works in the little. And each life that is touched for the kingdom can be a life that someday touches someone else for the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? With God, nothing is impossible? Do you believe that in your own life? Or is that for somebody else? Is that for somebody in the Bible? Is that for Moses? Is that for Mary? When we allow ourselves to be used in what we may consider to be the little, God can do big things. But we have to be willing. And that means not always analyzing everything, but doing. You see, Pastor Mark spoke about these guys last week, if you were here. 
There were these shepherds that were abiding in the field not far away. And shepherds were kind of a quiet kind, but they could also be thieves kind of guy. They were at the bottom of the occupation barrel. You know, if you were growing up in that time, you could be a carpenter, you could be this, you could be that, but don't be a shepherd, please. Don't tell me you're going to be a shepherd. Anything, but don't be a shepherd. Nobody raised their kid to be a shepherd. Shepherds were not even allowed to enter the temple. They were lowly in the eyes of society. But there were big dangers with being a shepherd as well. You had to protect your flock from the thieves and the wild bears and things like that. And the sheep that were actually being raised in this area, we believe to be sheep that were going to just be brought to the temple and used as sacrifices at the local temple. And as they watched their sheep and talked about whatever shepherds talked about, maybe they're talking about the new influx of all the bears that have come in and eaten their sheep. One thing we know they weren't talking about was the great season that the 2019 bears had, but that's a whole nother story. It would appear that it's a quiet night in the field when an angel appears, and so we start Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The angel appears out of nowhere and gives the normal angel greeting, fear not. Now we see the angel is not only bringing good news, but he's bringing good news of great joy. Now as I read this passage, this is both overwhelming to me and it is both challenging to me. It is overwhelming to the fact that this good news is for all people. It's not for a certain nationality. It's not for a certain gender. It's not for a certain religious group of people. It is for all people. And to me, it's challenging in the fact that it is for all people. There is no one that I come in contact with that I shouldn't be willing to share this good news with. Because I am not God, I do not know who he is called, and I don't know who needs to hear about Jesus one more time. So because the good news is for all people. And it's overwhelming to me that no one is excluded. And it's not for me to judge who is in and who is out. But to share this news. 
The response of the shepherds, it's remarkable. There's no hesitation in the response. The angels leave, and the shepherds say to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. They don't have a shepherd board meeting. They don't sit around and go, okay, who's in favor of going to Bethlehem? I am, I am, I am. I don't know. I don't know if I should really go. Why not? They don't have discussion. They don't get all in favor. I and then go to the owner of the sheep and say, hey, we need you to sign off on this. We're leaving your sheep out for the bears to attack. No, they go. In our lives, why do we hesitate? Are we waiting for this angel to show up? Are we waiting for heavenly hosts to appear? And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about everyday life because God is in our everyday life. And these out of nowhere moments that I talk about are only out of nowhere moments for us. Why do we hesitate? I think sometimes we say, well, is that the will of God? How do we know if this is the will of God to go do that, to go talk to that person, to go do this? I'm going to give you two simple answers. Number one, is it sinful? What is on your heart, is that sinful? Does it go against Scripture? Number two, are you doing this for your glory? Because if it is not sinful and it does not go against Scripture and you are doing it for the glory of God, then that is God putting that on your heart to go do whatever that is. And, and it could be the simple thing of giving change to a homeless person to uh, getting into ministry, whatever it is. No, they go. They leave the sheep. You see, uh, the sheep are no longer the important part of their life. It's the baby we call Jesus, the baby that we call Savior. And they go to Bethlehem and they see the baby. And when they share, and then they share what they have been told about the people. And all who heard it wondered. Wondered when we look up that word in Webster. It's amazement. All were amazed by shepherds, the bottom rung of the job chain. Shepherds are amazing people. Pastor Mark asked a question last week, and I don't know if you remember it or not. Do we idolize comfort over the mission? Do people around you wonder about your lifestyle at your work? Um, at Strackenvent Tills, at, at wherever you're at. Are people in amazement, are people wondering about your life, why you're the person that doesn't use the coarse, terrible language and jump into the filthy jokes? Do people wonder why you talk about your spouse in a positive way? Do people wonder why you encourage people instead of slandering and gossiping and everything like everybody else? Do people wonder? Are you making an impact with your life? Are you the neighbor that cares about the neighbor that doesn't go to Bethel? 
are you a difference maker for Christ? Or would you have been one of the shepherds that stayed in the field? You see, Jesus would appear to show up out of nowhere, but all of this, it was all orchestrated by God who spoke creation into existence. And our lives will have what we think are out-of-nowhere moments. But that is God working in our life. The moment that we are told that a loved one has cancer, that someone we know has died tragically, we've lost a job after 25 years of faithful service to a company. The good news, you're receiving a raise and you didn't expect it. Even better news, your D student is bringing home A's. Out of nowhere moments. You insert your moment. Insert your life. You will have these moments, and they are yet to come. And in 2020, you will have those moments where you say this, I didn't see that coming. But God did. And he was in it the whole time. It is what we do with these moments that God orchestrates in our life. It is what we do with these orchestrated moments of God that will define who we are spiritually. I was told once that you can tell the spiritual maturity, you can tell the character of a person in the last three months of their life. And I've come to know that to be very true because I've seen that in people. See, when you are given that news that seems to be so terrible, that foundation that you have inside of you, how will that be reflected to bring glory to God in spite of the fact that you're going to have to walk in and tell parents that you're pregnant at 14? How will you respond? How will you respond when this news of great joy and you're being a part of leading someone to salvation, will you bring the glory to God or is it all about you? You see, these so-called out-of-nowhere moments define really who we are spiritually. But it's also in these moments that God can use to refine us in his fire, to use us. You see, when the relationship and the sweet communion was broken in the garden, God's response was not to walk away from man, but to send his only son to die for our sins and for those who will believe. And maybe you're here today and you have never made that decision. You're saying, I'm a good person. I, I can do this. It's not working well for you if you're being honest. You see, we have to come to a point in our life and understand that we are a sinner. And no matter what we do, we can't do enough because you tell me what is enough. There is never enough. We have broken that relationship with God. We're no different than Adam and Eve. We have broken that relationship with God, and you as a sinner need a Savior. I as a sinner need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and said, I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior, I, yes, he died on the cross for me. If you've never done that, do that today. Don't leave here without it. Because this, this is how you are presently defined. You are defined without a Savior. 
And my prayer is that is not how your life ends on this earth. Defiant to the one who died for your sins. The true character that lies within our hearts will be exposed in these moments that catch us off guard. The moment that we are presented either with a serving opportunity, whether it's inside or outside the church, to serve or care for those around us who we don't think meets up to our standards, to start a friendship with someone who struggles with being a friend, and that out of nowhere moment, don't, it doesn't only happen in church. It happens everywhere you are because God is present everywhere you are. And it doesn't have to be bad news. It can be an opportunity to serve others as you never thought was possible. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, you're in charge of student ministries? Think I could serve? You need, yeah, you could serve, come on. I don't even know him that well. He's got a heart. He's got a love for the Lord. And you see the little that God can do a lot. Yes, it's in the little that God can do a lot. It's in the small that God is large. And it's in the amazing when we say, I am the Lord's servant. When we are ready to be sent, that's when we don't ask how, but you do it now. When we realize that our past Life is history, and that we are not promised the future, but it's in the present that we can be used. The shepherds recognized the call of God, and they did not hesitate. They left the livelihood for the beck and call of the visiting, of visiting the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They left the comfort of their field for, and what they knew for the manger. And my friends, that manger is still where the power is at. It is still the strength that gives us the strength to go every day. They did not idolize comfort over the mission and the call of God. And in 2020, will we respond to the call of salvation with a resounding, I am the Lord's servant? Will we leave the comfort of the pasture for the uncertainty of the manger? Only you as an individual can answer that question if that's what you will do. Out of nowhere to the will of God. Be prepared because he's going to show up. He's present now and he's present in your everyday life. And he's going to show up and at that time, he can lead us to his will being done if we are willing to follow him. So my question I leave with you on this last Sunday of 2020, or 2019, I'm sorry. What will your 2020 out of nowhere moments look like as you reflect the will of God in your own personal life?